Welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. And today I am delighted that we have a very successful e-commerce merchant joining us on the show. And he's going to tell a little bit of his story, how they got started, what they did well, what they maybe should have done differently, things they should have done sooner. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're also going to dive into what has become one of my favorite topics, and I think one of the most important topics, regardless of what your business is right now, whether you're a service provider or an e-commerce brand, and that topic is culture. So how do we define, shape, protect culture? We're going to dive into that just a little bit as well. Hey, Brett Curry here. I've got an important question for you. Where will your next big idea come from? Where will your next big breakthrough come from? Or where will your next little tweak or little improvement come from? Have a suggestion. Check out our guides and resources at omgcommerce.com. Are you looking to enhance your YouTube ads game? We have two of the best YouTube ad resources that are completely free our YouTube ad examples and templates guide, and our guide to getting authentic video customer testimonials. But it doesn't stop there. We also have guides on how to maximize sponsor brand video on Amazon and Amazon DSP and Google Shopping and a variety of other things. So get these free guides, give them to your team, even share them with your agency. Just take advantage of these resources and up your game. Let OMG Commerce help. And now, back to the show. I am so excited to welcome to the show Mr. Colby Bauer. He is the co-founder and CEO of Fred Wallets. What's up, Colby? How are you? What's up, Brett? Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I'm just stoked to be on the show. Yeah, we had a great time as we're kind of prepping and, and chatting. And of course, we were you know, geeking out a little bit about some e-commerce tactics and, and some of the fun stuff we do. And then we kind of landed on the, you know, you started talking about culture. I was like, well, we're, we're, we've are we really invested in culture over the last few years of OMG. And so um, we, we thought, man, that would be a really good topic to talk about on the show. And so we're going to, we're going to get into that uh, as well. So uh, first of all, where are you hailing from? You're, you're in one of my favorite states, although I've not visited the state more than just a couple of times, but where are you physically located? Yeah, we're in Utah. We're just at the base of the Rockies in a town called Provo, Utah, which is home of BYU, Brigham Young University. There have been, I swear, like a million different startups coming out of BYU. The The entrepreneurship program at BYU just breeds entrepreneurs. So Utah has become such a, a big playground for entrepreneurs. It's a great little startup community. And, and yeah, I mean, so many awesome brands Purple Mattress, and then I know uh, lots of others uh, that have come out of Utah. And so it's a hotbed, man, hotbed of entrepreneurial creativity. And you are part of that community as well. And so let's talk a little bit. It's always fun to hear the story in the background of, you know, what your company does, how you got started. So give us, uh, you know, the, the quick run rundown, the quick backstory, and then we'll, yeah. we'll dive into some, some questions. Yeah, so the Thread Wallets, uh, we're starting to now brand ourselves more as Thread. We offer, today we offer wallets, of course, and wallet accessories, so lanyards. Um, we have just recently launched a chapstick holder, which is surprisingly done 
tremendously well. Um, phone cases, we're launching a few new products. I actually can't say right now, but um, just stay tuned in the next month. Um, just launched crossbody bag. So we're getting into the bag category. Um, but it started as this really dumb elastic wallet idea. Um, I was out in Hawaii in 2014. I was actually playing soccer at both BYU and BYU Hawaii. And so I would transfer back and forth. I can think of worse places to go to school. (laughs) Yeah, really. Hawaii. Oh, dude. Yeah, it was, it was epic. And we, um, um, I went out there first, the first year in 2013 and um, I had lost my wallet to the ocean because I was just uh, an amateur of being around the ocean. Yeah. Dove in with my wallet and lost it. The ocean will grab uh, uh, Apple. It's relentless. Yeah. <laughs> it's relentless. I know. One of these days, we'll drain the ocean. We'll get to get all of our sunglasses and watches and wallets back. Yeah. Um, I've heard of it. This is uh, totally off topic. I've heard of divers. And when we, we live in like Lake region where we are, but, but there are places to do cliff diving, you know, and... Uh, in the lakes around us. And I've heard of their, their scuba divers just go and find all kinds of stuff. And actually I mentioned Apple wallet or Apple watch because this summer we went cliff jumping with, with some employees and I, and I did indeed lose my Apple. No. Leg. Oh, yeah. such a bummer. Just a good Every now and then the ocean, the ocean will gift back though. One of my, one of my buddies, we were just sitting on the, on the beach and a GoPro washed up shore and wow. it worked and everything. So every now and then you'll, you'll get it back. Um, but anyways, after I lost my wallet, I I started to search online for a new one. And the wallet I had previously was very minimalist. It was just a leather wallet. I found at like a Goodwill and started looking and typed in wallets. And it just was that never ending scroll of the same wallet, pretty much, uh, that George Costanza, Costanza. like bifold or trifold black or brown. And And I just started looking at the category back problems. If you sit on this wallet, (laughs) Exactly. So I, I started then typing in minimalist wallets and I actually found a few. Um, they were brand new on Kickstarter. So, you know, you had to wait for, for them. Um, and I ordered one, but in the meantime, I wrapped my cards in a rubber band. And I actually fell in love with the functionality of a rubber band, just as, as slim as you could get it. And um, it got me thinking, I just needed a little bit more security with that rubber band. So I actually went to a fabric store um, called Joanne's Fabric and just sewed up with my then girlfriend, now wife, um, in her childhood bedroom with her childhood sewing machine. I sewed up uh, a better rubber band for myself. It was just a white white sleeve. That's it. And then I started thinking, if I love this thing so much, maybe other people will. And I also noticed at the same time that most wallets, like I mentioned, were very just boring. And my my personality, my style, you know, fashion choices and the brands that I love are very expressive. And so I thought we could probably start to, if we could find a way to put on some really fun prints and colors, I think we have a, a category here that's just, um, just sitting there ready for innovation that we could actually, um, you know, start start finding our, getting our foot in the door with. And so, um, we, there's a local company here in Utah called Beloved. And what they did was they printed on shirts. They would have like a full, the whole shirt would look like a pepperoni pizza or like a big, like sloth face or something crazy. And so I was so curious to how they printed because they could print any color. Like there was no, uh, limit on number of colors. And that was my biggest, my biggest thing was, I didn't want to feel limited on what I could put on the wallet. 
So I actually just, I bought more of that fabric from Joanne's and I pretty much walked into the headquarters here and I, I, uh, like seriously unannounced just walked in and there was one of the interns was, was actually, um, it's a heat press that, uh, allows you, it's called sublimation printing. So he was there at the heat press, um, printing these shirts and socks and things. And I, I asked him if I could try printing on this elastic and he's like, sure, go ahead. And I was like, well, before I do, I have no idea what's going to happen. Like maybe this elastic melts all over your heat press. And he's like, dude, just go for it. And I was like, he's like, I'm an intern, you, dude. <laughs> yeah. He's like, dude, I'm I'm gone in a month anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm curious. I want to see what happens soon. That's awesome. And so to explain this just a little bit. And so uh, I've mentioned this on the podcast before I coached basketball and I'm retired now, but I learned about sublimation in ordering uniforms and shopping for uniforms. So oh, yeah. the, the, the difference is sublimation prints like in the fabric, right? The, the printing goes into the material, whereas uh, other, other types of lettering for uniforms or whatever just sticks onto the material. So sublimation gets into the fabric. Exactly. Yeah. So I went, I went in without that knowledge, just wondering what was going to happen. And we pressed it and it came out perfect. I was stoked. And I used just one of their, uh, one of their prints they had. It was a, one of those poop emojis, the smiling poop emoji. And it was just like a repeating pattern of that. And so I was like six. So I, I went home, sewed that up and that was my wallet. And I was just, I remember on my way back, I had a business partner at the time and, and I called him on my way back and I was like, dude, this is it. This is, this is the solution to making the minimalist wallet fun and expressive. So that's where we, we fit. That was where our product market fit was, was functionality and combined with expression. Personality. And so... Do you ever just that's thought, do you know what happened to the intern? Is the intern still around? <laughs> He's gone, dude. He's, He's gone. gone. <laughs> no, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, don't, but, I have no idea. But thank, thank you, intern. For, thank uh, you. Yes, exactly. I should have hired him right on the spot. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So that was when the I would say the doors flew open as far as like me being able to see this vision for what Thread could become. And I knew that we were always going to start with wallets and that later on we would expand that that product line. But it started with that wallet and it remained just that wallet for two years. My wife and I did the production in-house, we did the fulfillment in-house. Um, and then not until about two, two and a half years, we launched a second product, which was not a wallet, surprisingly. It was a lanyard. And so it was a, a complimentary product because we saw most of the females that were rocking our wallets were, were wearing a lanyard, but they were using one of those like crappy lanyards from a convention they got. And so we wanted to make it, you know, matching and, and a little bit higher quality. So started selling those and now um, that's our, you know, our top seller. But um, yeah, I mean, over the past five years, that's, that's in a nutshell. There's a lot of um, other micro stories there, but that's pretty much how um, Thread got started. I love it. Uh, and and it's, such, it's a great product. And just like with, with all good e-commerce stores and good marketers, I encourage everyone to go check out the site see how they're positioning products and how they're marketing. It really, there really are some fantastic, functional, fun, you know, personality-driven products. And so let's talk about a few things. As you look back at how you guys started and, and what you got right, what are some things that, that either by, you know, dumb luck or by choice, uh, what are some of the things that you got right, some of the things that worked just really, really well in terms of you know, driving traffic and getting sales or website designer or any of those things? When, when I was deciding on a product, I racked my head around, you know, I was in entrepreneurship classes. I loved entrepreneurship. And so I was constantly thinking of ideas. I'd come up with multiple product ideas a day. 
And one of the things that I'd put through the filter was, is it small? Um, is it easy to ship? Is it is cost of goods low? Is margin high? Um, and can I sell this to business to business and direct consumer? So those are kind of like my, the filter that I put it through. Um, I think I lucked out on some of that. I think I'm giving myself maybe too much credit there on, on being so intentional with the product. But um, ultimately, those are the, now when we, when we look at new product, we think those things. And so um, I think choosing the right product uh, as far as the silhouette is, is so important. But then also the category specifically, because if you look at most $100 million D2C brands, they're based around one category yes. that has an opportunity to grow into a bigger category. And right. so where, where we started was not where I envisioned it to, to turn into. I always wanted it to be backpacks and duffels and, you know, phone cases, laptop cases. I wanted, I wanted to own the carry category, carry and carry accessories. But in order to get there, you can't compete against the millions of other backpacks in the world. You know, there's, that's right. not going to happen. Yeah. So you have to find your foot in the door. And so for me, that was wallets. And I think that's something we did really well. And we captured that market. And I remember early on, we named it Thread Wallets. That's the actual legal name of it. One of my buddies was like, well, dude, why are you going wallets if that's your vision? If you want it to be something else, why are you going wallets? I thought strategically we need to keep wallets on there because that raises our hand above the crowd. This is what we focus on. This is our niche. We own it. And there's no, you know, ambiguity of what, what we do, you know, it's just very clear. Okay. That's what they sell. Your company. What, what is it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think you're, you're spot on. And if you look at other really successful direct to consumer brands, let's take, let's take Bonobos as an example. You know, they started by perfecting men's khakis they had similar experience to you in that most guys' khakis don't fit right and you look like an old man, you know, like it just <laughs> khakis yeah. don't work. And so they developed a better khaki and, and they did really, really well with it. And then, of course, that lended itself well to designing shirts and, and getting into to women's jeans and, and other things. But, but to begin with, it was just men's khakis. I think the same thing can be said about someone like a Warby Parker, where you know, just like oh, dude, yeah. great direct to consumer eyewear. And now that you, of course, all kinds of eyewear and other spinoffs and things like that. So I think it's really smart. So I like that criteria. You know, that's not the only way to find a winning product, right? But some of the criteria laid out totally makes sense. Easy to ship, lightweight, good cogs, you know, good cost of goods. So all, all those things really, really important. Uh, what about uh, what about from a marketing standpoint? What, what did you guys do well? Because it sounds like there was a lot of grassroots stuff in the beginning, which was really fun. But what else did you do well from a marketing perspective? We saw early on Instagram was very new in terms of influencer marketing, and we rode that wave so hard. I mean, the before you saw a sponsored post every freaking post, it was. Uh, very far and few in between. And so people didn't realize what that it was even sponsored yep. to begin with. And so we wrote you that. And I think we, too, right? like your, your, your product photographs well, and it, it, you, know, you can use it at the beach or whatever. Like it, it fits into that aspirational lifestyle photography. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that it starts there is the content that you're putting out there. And so uh, it became, our society became very photo heavy, you know, very uh, photocentric. And 
at the time, it didn't really matter how quality it was, but the fact that you're putting out content um, consistently made sense. And so we just, we would outsource basically um, photographers through trade. So we, we started just sending product to every influencer and photographer we could find. And then we started getting a ton of content. And so now we had this just a plethora of content to be posting. And um, so, you know, our, our content marketing was strong. Our influencer marketing was strong. And we started doing things that maybe aren't scalable, but it needed to happen in order to get the ball rolling. And that would that would be little pop-up shops at random coffee shops and, and other restaurants or on campus or whatever else. We started doing those things and really starting to build kind of more of a local community. But that community helped grow a, a larger community. And I think we're fortunate enough because at BYU in Utah, it's kind of a melting pot because it's a religious school. It's not like... Mm-hmm. The majority is just Utah-based. It actually, you're getting people from all different states. And so when you build that local community, immediately starts to expand out of your state. Um, but, and we did some of that intentionally, you know, I started to build that local community, but um, I, want to just I think- Really quickly, because you mentioned it and I don't want this to, to slip away. Sometimes to, to scale, you have to do things that are not scalable, right? And sometimes activities that are not scalable fuel things that are scalable. And that's where like that, you know, pop-up shops, going to events, meeting people in person, which I know is difficult now, but, but it would, you know, it'd be possible. <laughs> yeah. But doing those things that don't feel scalable, they fuel things that, that do scale. Yes. So a lot of people yeah. skip that because they just want to go and you know, and, I, and I'm an ad guy, I love ads, right? And, and so uh, yeah. big believer in that, but some people just want to focus on the scalable stuff and they miss out other big opportunities. Yes, I would agree. And sometimes, like you mentioned, it the the things that you're doing that aren't scalable aren't necessarily necessarily for scale or even for a return on on the spend. Sometimes, you know, for us, what what was kind of unseen was doing those things in person gave us that face to face feedback and that interaction with our product in person to learn what people wanted and why they why they wanted it. And so then we could take those learnings. You know, we could adapt the styles, the art that we put on the design, maybe even the product itself, the way we messaged um, on ads, we started to learn our, our customer, you know, and, and that is, uh, I would say, the most valuable thing you can learn before you can scale it, right? You need to understand who's buying and why they're buying it. Then when you take it to, say, ads, digital ads, that is scalable, you can do that quicker. You can do that um, just more intentionally. And so... I think that's some some of the things we did well is we started to learn who our customer was because I mean I'm not the I would say we're eighty percent female right now I'm not that eighty percent female my wife was and is and um, and so it became natural you know our 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 marketing of pushing this this lifestyle of like on the go you know um, freedom chasing fun having you know surfing skating snowboarding those types of um, outdoor activities. That's what we did. And so it, and still do. And that, so it makes sense. It's easy, you know? And so when you're trying to fake it, people can see through it. And so, um, you know, I think that's probably the key to any, the key ingredient to any marketing is just understanding who and and why they're, why would they would even buy? 
Absolutely. I, I think well, one, one of the, one of my favorite marketing quotes, and it's, it's, it's pretty old now, but I think it still applies. A, a guy named Gary Bensavanga said this, he was a great copywriter. He said that, you know, free is no longer the most powerful word in advertising because for a long time people said, you know, Hey, use the word free that gets attention and it's, it's the most powerful, yeah. but the word for F O R is the most powerful meaning you, you're really your job as a marketer is to say, this is for you, right? This was designed with you in mind and your personality and your needs and, and everything related to who you are. This is for you, right? No one cares really about free. I mean, maybe like free is so cool, but um, to- totally lines up with knowing your prospect, delivering what they want, communicating in a way that's authentic. And, and so, yeah. Yeah, really powerful. Um, so let's talk about maybe a couple of the things you wish you had done sooner. We'll kind of we'll chat about this for a minute. And we'll get into, into culture. But what are some things you either mistakes made or just things that like, man, if I'd known that from the get go, we could have grown quicker, maybe. You know? Oh, dude, that is such a good question. If yeah, if I could go back in time and tell myself, you need to get production off of your plate right now, outsource <laughs> it then I would have saved myself a lot of stomach aches and, you know, a lot of years. Um, I'm actually, ironically, sitting in the office at my in-law's house that it actually began. And so I'm looking over awesome. here at the the wall. I actually put a hole in the wall with one of the machinery that we were using to produce. But um, And so I look at that scar and I'm like, wow, we've come so far. I'm so glad I don't have to do that anymore. Um, but that, that yeah, one, you know, your, your in-laws cool with leaving the, <laughs> yeah, I, it's behind the door. He can't see it. <laughs> awesome. Um, anyways, yeah, I outsourcing production. That one seems like, you know, it's, it's no brainer. And unfortunately people are forced to outsource production. So, but that one we held on for way too long. And, um, we also held on to fulfillment for way too long. Um, we we held on to bookkeeping for way too long. I was I was stressed wearing hats that I didn't actually feel qualified to being wearing to even wear. And and honestly, me doing the bookkeeping, while we couldn't really justify affording uh, a bookkeeper at the time, now I'm looking back and I'm realizing I can't afford to not you know buying and outsourcing a bookkeeper. You know because it got my me doing it got us into bad holes and bad habits. And it took, you know, a lot of time to get out of that hole. And there's a right way to, to, to run your accounting, you know, following things like gap, uh, generally accepted accounting principles and, and other things. And also if you, if you're ever thinking about selling or even if not, you just want to keep and maximize value. Like there, there's a right way and a wrong way to look at accounting, even something like, you know, cash versus accrual accounting. And, and you know, accrual accounting is the way to go for e-commerce in most cases. And like, even just having some of those things, I 100% agree. Uh, and, I, and I'm talking like I'm a, an accounting wizard. I'm not. But you know how important it is to, to give it to somebody who is, right? Yeah, because... Yeah, you have a couple of years of really bad books or really shaky. Like you, you have to, it takes a couple of years to probably recover from it in some cases. Totally. So, yeah. Uh, so very much worth it. Absolutely. Yeah, we lucked out. We I didn't put savings aside for taxes at the end of the year. And I looked at our tax bill and it was like we didn't even have the money in the bank to pay. And wow, we lucked out so big. We went to a holiday market and we made within ten dollars of the amount that I owed. So it was, you know. It was divine for sure, yeah, but absolutely, absolutely. But not <laughs> everyone. Those, are the, those are the holes that I lucked out getting out of. Sorry, go ahead. What was that, Brett? You're saying not everybody can do that, and so that just underscores. Right. It's so cool that that you guys have that 
experience and we're able to recover from, but not everybody can do that. And so just underscores, yeah, get get your financial house in order. It's important. Cool. Other things you wish you had done or learned sooner. Yeah. So I would say one more. I mean, there's plenty, but the one big one is we hired a an ad guy. We just called him our ad guy. Um, he was working a corporate job and he would come home at night and work on thread for us. He, in his corporate job, he's, he spent millions of dollars for a big company here in Utah called Vivint. And so he got to learn spending millions of dollars on this account and then apply his learnings to Thread. Um, we we structured a contract with him that it, it incentivized him to make us money, um, profit. profit. Um, and I think that was crucial in our success because we didn't have capital. We didn't raise money. So we we had to be profitable. Um, I think I waited a little bit too long to to really get him on full time. And um, really, and we gave him equity in the company. And I would do that again and again and again, because when you have somebody who's invested in your company long-term um, running ads, they're spending your money as if it's their own, because technically it is the, their own as well. And so um, that that alignment of, of goal um, for the long-term play was so crucial in our success early on. I, I would do that again. And um, I would, if I could go back in time in the, I hired him, I think our third year, the beginning of our third year, I would have hired him. I mean, I didn't know him, but I would have looked for a uh, ad guy, quote ad guy in the first year. Um, Because that ad strategy and getting the way you did, where you're really focused on profitable growth, they're incentivized to hit that profitable growth. Yeah. Why not start sooner? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's the one we lucked out on big time. I didn't, you know, I listened to a million podcasts and read a million articles, you know, I'd wake up at five and do that, that whole thing. But, um, I, I didn't know what I was getting when I got, his name's Logan. And I think I just lucked out big time with just finding the right guy who's passionate and smart and, um, trustworthy. And those, those things that you're looking for in an, an ad person or just a business partner in general, um, and or agency, if you're looking at, you know, like uh, an agency, those are the things that you should be looking for. They should be aligned with your long-term goals and not just a short-term play and they make a quick, quick buck, you make a quick buck. That that never really works. And so I think um, your partner, you have to really, f- you know, fill it out and make sure that um, they're aligned and that you guys are um, just on the same page. Yeah. 100% agree. And I, I think this this is so important in every position and especially on the marketing side, whether you you have a freelancer or someone that you make a partner or someone that you hire as an employee or as an agency, how do you structure the deal so that everybody's incentivized in the same, like towards the same goal? And, and if you can line that up, beautiful things happen. So, so I want to, I think it's a great, a great point to kind of pivot in the discussion and let's begin on that path of talking about culture and team and, and even, you know, kind of life as a CEO. So we'll see how much we have time to get into, but, but you have kind of a unique philosophy in, in terms of equity and how you share equity with some of your executive team. And, you know, this is one of those, this is one of those really interesting topics, you know, I'm, I'm 
I'm part of a war room that Roald Frazier and Ryan Dice uh, run. And, you know, they talk about there's strategic ways to use equity. And some people are very much anti, no, I never want to give up any equity. Other people see the, the value in, in partnerships. Um, I, I'm more on the value of partnership side of things. But how do you look at equity and, and why do you think it's a good idea to consider equity for your executive team, uh, at least? I've always said that you want the 49ers on your team, not the football team, but the actual 49ers during the gold rush. The 49ers were the people who uh, actually got to the um, the gold. They were on the site at the first and and they ran, you know, and they were, um, they didn't look behind and they just went for it. And, and those, those people that uh, the 49ers were in essence entrepreneurs Um they didn't go through this like this uh, A plus B equals C route of life, and um, and they instead they were searching for you know their own gold mine and and to me I've had um, opportunities in the past you know to work at my dad's financial advisory firm I had opportunities to play at uh, professional soccer and 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 then I had this stupid wallet idea that. Um, for some reason, I, I wanted to pursue and I wanted to find, you know, while I was on one hand sitting on a gold mine, being able to take over my dad's firm, something about that was was just not, fit, you know, fitting with me. I just, I I thought I wanted to go find my own gold mine. I didn't need to tell you, someone to tell me, here's the gold mine, here's the shovel. Now you just got to dig. I actually liked the the venture of finding. It's not even just about the gold. It was more about the adventure to find it. And I guess back to your question, you want people like that on your team, especially your founding team or your executive team, because those are the types of people who are problem solvers. They're leaving behind a traditional lifestyle for something um, out of passion and not just money. And, and so giving them and rewarding them with equity, in my mind, is is giving them exactly what they want and what you want. Um, and that's somebody who's invested for the long-term play. Somebody who's willing to take a lot lower of a salary um, for the for the trade of doing something they love and that's creating something and working together doing it. Um, so when I think of equity, it's it's less about a portion of my business. It's more about obtaining the 49ers and getting a founding team that I can trust that now it's not just my own mind. I'm not just relying on my own skill sets and, and mine. Now I'm I'm being able to trust a team that's in it for the long run and for the benefit of the whole company to make decisions and see it from all different angles. And so I think equity in our culture is oftentimes just looked at like a, a chunk of money, you know, and I think it needs to be looked at as like um, a trade of, of getting the right people on board. And you, ha- you can see really clearly when you're, when you bring, when you put equity on the table, how someone responds to it and, uh, and then how they negotiate from there that like th- they're in it for the right reasons. They're in it for the wrong reasons. They're willing to make sacrifices early on or they're not. And so I saw early on, Fortunately, I was forced because I couldn't really pay high salaries that I had to use equity anyway. Uh, but that's my philosophy. Even if I had a million dollars to share amongst my founding team, I, I would still say, are you willing to take a lower salary for an exit in two, three, I mean, eight years, whatever it is, um, and, and let's build this thing together? And if they say, let's do it, I'm on board, that's my team. And so I just use equity um, 
you know, as more of a strategy to just to vet people out. And um, I, I landed on some really, really solid people that I, I just trust so much. That's awesome. I love it. And, and I think if you look at it that way, that we're using equity as, as, a, as a tool uh, to, to, to vet and find the right person, also to incentivize the right person and, and to keep them with you. I think that's the proper way to look at it. I think sometimes we get hung up on percentages, right? This, this business is our baby. We started it and we get hung up on percentages, right? And percentages don't mean much, really. It's the value of those percentages, right? And so if you can get the right people doing the right things and properly incentivize, you'd be way better off to have, you know, 90, 80, 70, even 60% of a company that's just like a rocket ship versus something that you own hundred percent of. And one of the things you said too, and I think, I think you have to balance these two, right? So sometimes we can get so focused on, okay, we're not hung up on percentage now. We just want to maximize value. And so I'm, I'm going to use equity and I'm just going to try to get, you know, players that are incentivized by equity. That can be okay, but you can also run into to issues, right? You, you talked about getting the right people and how fun that is. And, and I think you have to, you have to look at it that way too. Are we attracting somebody that we want to work with and that our values are aligned and where this is going to be a, a fun to, to stick with this person and be in the day-to-day grind for five, six, seven years, eight years. Um, so you have to think about it that way as well. And I think, I think that culture piece kind of helps balance just the, the financial piece. Um, yes, I agree. Yeah. And I think the first step to creating a good culture is, and you, you mentioned this before our call, Brett was hiring smart. You know, people say, Hire slow and fire quick. I would just change the word hire slow to hire smart. Yes. Um, and then, and not fire too quick, you know, and, yeah. and maybe give people just some time to, to get into a rhythm. Cause you might be fire, if you fire quick, you might be firing some of your best employees. In fact, I've, I've come to find that, you know, uh, while being somewhat patient and, and putting some resources to developing somebody has proven for us to, watch somebody bloom and step into a position that um, that I probably would have never been able to find someone as good for. And so you might be firing someone too quick, but hiring smart is the first step to developing a, a great culture. And so it, you know, our, our process, I could walk you through our process of hiring. It's kind of boring, you know, it's all that stuff, that tactical stuff can get boring, but um, ultimately you have to be intentional with how you're going about hiring, um, whether that's interview process. I think you mentioned a few things too, but um, you know, we do like a three month trial period where we just see how they mesh with the team and how, and on a personality level and also on, on just a workflow level. And so there's, there's rules and, and things you can put in during that hiring process that will ensure a good culture that instead of hiring the wrong person, which you, you're going to inevitably do, um, that uh, it's really difficult to try to fix a mistake than it is to just do it right the first time. Sure. And so I think what that's the, little the, things the very first place, time. What are some things you put in place to, to kind of identify culture and culture fit in the hiring process? And, and yeah, we don't need to walk through the whole process because that can be kind of hard to just listen to without seeing something visual. But what are, what are a few of the things you do to spot culture fit? One of the things that I do is first, I, I mean, we have a relatively small team. We're 22 people. Um, but I, I interview every person that, that will, that comes into thread, but I never look at their resume first. And so, um, there's a two, two part 
interview process. Um, one is from the department head. Um, so whoever that is, they interview and they, they can look at the resume if they, if they want. And I encourage that, you know, cause they, there's something to say about skill sets and experience. Um, but I don't, I don't personally look at that when I, when I interview, I'm not looking at skill sets that should already be checked off. What I'm looking at is our core values. The number one core value and the overarching characteristic amongst everyone on our team is humility. Um, with humility comes everything else in my book. I mean, if you're humble enough, um, you're going to learn. You're going to you're going to put in the work to figure out. You're going to be ambitious. You're going to be a problem solver. You're going to be proactive. Um, you're going to be apologetic when, and take responsibility. And so humility is that, I would say, the core of hiring. And so those are the things that I'm looking for. And you can sense humility in somebody. It's somewhat hard to fake humility. Yep. Um, and so I, when I ask questions, I'm asking them stories about their life. And just, I just want to hear them talk about their accomplishments and their, and their life and their family and, and what's important to them. Because that gives me a good sense of, are they humble? Um, also, like I mentioned, another characteristic is uh, 49ers, or uh, we just call entrepreneur. They're entrepreneurial. So they are ambitious. They have, they're goal oriented. Um, they don't need their hand held. So they're, you know, self-motivated. Um, if they, you know, if I wasn't to micromanage, which I can't do and nor do I want to do, they would get their crap done. And um, that's another, I would say the next biggest characteristic. No. Um, they're, they're honest. They're, um, that's another one of our core values. I look for honesty and that's when I call their uh, referral um, you call that the background check and, yep. and the referrals. Um, references. I, I, you know, I, yeah, the references. Thank you. <laughs> Couldn't think of the term. Um, I call it references and just ask uh, about, you know, is this person honest and, and how to, did you enjoy working with them? Um, and so I look at those core values before hiring. And uh, I think that's a, a trick that I, I learned from the founder of Stance. His name's Jeff Curl. He said, I never looked at the resume. I, could, I, I don't care to look at that. I'm looking to see if they're a cultural fit um, from a personality standpoint and a character standpoint. And so I think that's really important because um, too often I think companies are hiring solely off of um, experience and resume. In fact, I've heard companies hiring without even meeting them. And it's in this day and age, sometimes you have to do that virtually, but um, without even interviewing, they just look at the paper and they go, oh, cool. This person went to Harvard Business School. You know, they've worked at Microsoft, done. I'm, they're, they're on board. It's like, so you have no idea about that person. You have no idea who you're hiring. And so right. I think um, that's the number one step in our process. That's awesome. So I'll outline a few of the things that we do at OMG because I think this will be good to interject here and, and just good for people because I, I don't talk about this a lot on the, the podcast, but you know, we're, we're a team of 42, 43 right now. And, and so we were talking before we hit record about you know, how do you keep and maintain culture? And especially if you're growing rapidly, the tendency is for culture to shift or change or you lose, you know, your, the, who you are. And so we, we do hire for culture first, but our process is, uh, and we look for talent and skill, of course. Uh, but, you know, we, we have someone fill out an application, of course, but also they do a personality survey using this tool that I can talk about later. It's fantastic. We also have them do an exercise. So when we get these exercises, whether it's Google Ads or the Amazon side of our business, someone has to go through this fake project and tell us 
what they would do to grow this client. So we have an exercise that we review. Then we have a a team member who used to interview for the school system and she does like the initial interview and she's just got a real sense for who's a BSer and who's got a good attitude and who doesn't. So that's the first one. They pass that and everything serving on everything looks good. And then our COO interviews and she's got a real knack. And then if it looks good, then I interview. And, and then kind of the final step is we have the team. So we bring in like the team that's going to work with this person to interview. And, and what's so interesting is occasionally, and this happened recently where someone got through all of it, even my interview. And I was talking to, the, to our COO, Sarah, after my interview with this candidate. And I said, you know, I think she could do the job. Like she's really good, but there's something about, I don't know. I said, there's something about her. I don't know. Like just like a gut feeling, something about her. So anyway, so then the interview with the team happens and I kid you not. So there's like eight, eight um, people in this interview, which can be overwhelming, but I think the truth comes out in those situations. And someone asked her about like a, a previous bad experience. And she's like, well, I was in this last job where half my job was babysitting millennials. And then she went on this rant and we're like, do you realize that 95% of the people in the room right now are millennials? And so just one of those things where <laughs> totally to your humility point, Okay, it was clear. This was not a this is not a humble person. This is a babysitter of millennials. And so anyway, but that but that didn't come out until that team interview. Like uh, now yeah, we kind right. of sense things along the way, but then it finally came out. So I think that's where you need to outline a process and and, and really yeah. do it. Yeah. 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 Another another part of our process really quickly is like I said, we we don't hire immediately. We just say this is a three month trial and and they're still paid and all that. But that that trial, I think, lends itself to an easy layoff or an easy hire, you know. And yeah. if it if it makes sense, it makes sense. But um, I love that, and, I, and a good a good friend of mine who runs another company, a development company, does the same thing. And they they really position it from, hey, we want to make sure you're happy too. Like you, you need you need exactly. to yeah, hire absolutely. We're a good fit right. for you, but it does it create. And, and we don't actually take that exact approach, but I do like it. It also it creates that easy conversation that everybody knows at the end of ninety days. We're having this discussion to see. Hey, is this working or is this not working? And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really good setup. I like I like that a lot. What what are some of the things you do? And, and we we have you know five or ten minutes here left. What are some of the things you do to make your culture unique? So you've you've kind of shaped this company that really fits your personality, your style, and you're attracting people with with similar values and stuff. But what are some of the unique things you do to, to maintain culture? Well, aside from work, which there's there's plenty of that, um, we, my wife and I, had a pretty gnarly argument last year about whether or not we should put a half pipe in our office or not, and it was <laughs> an ongoing <laughs> argument. Gnarly and half pipe, I think. It's <laughs> yeah, <gnarly>. yeah. <laughs> it was yeah, it was gnarly for sure, and um, it was ongoing, and uh, it it really I didn't. I couldn't figure out why I wanted it, you know, so bad. Cause obviously I think it'd be cool. There's a cool factor to it. I freaking love skating. So that makes sense. But she had this, like this argument that I, and I think the reason why it pissed me off so much was cause she was right. You know, she was like, <laughs> it's not necessary. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, lawsuit. You're right. it's not. lawsuit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I'm, so I'm like, how do I work around that? You know, like I, she's right. It's not necessary. Um, and, and it got me thinking like, what is, why do I want this thing? Like, what is it that it really, um, you know, is, is like, why am I getting so pissed off? And like, why do I, why am I fighting for it so much? And it got me thinking more. And I think what it comes down to is mental health. Um, for me, 
I've suffered through, you know, quite a bit of, uh, you know, addiction runs pretty rampant in my family. My mom's an alcoholic um, since I was born and, and my dad also is, is uh, just out of rehab. And, and so with that comes along a lot of like emotional roller coasters, right? And, and not to mention when we started Thread, it was, uh, we were newlyweds. So there's a lot of uh, stress related there. And then you're starting a company and then now we have two little girls. You're just, you're just, you're tacking on a lot of, of burden, right? And so for me, my outlet um, is luckily not drugs or alcohol. It's um, skateboarding and it's sports and it's friends and it's um, outdoor activities. So for me, skateboarding over the last six years has become more than just the sport. It's become a therapy. And so, you know, I spend late nights at our office skateboarding with friends. Um, you know, there's community around, around the sport. There's creativity. There's this outlet that I don't have to think about work when I'm skateboarding. And, and that's what I need. I need that release because otherwise, as an entrepreneur, you know, every entrepreneur knows you're pretty much uh, thinking about your business 24-7, you know? And so being able to have something where you don't think about your business is actually very needed in your business. And so um, what the halfpipe has become is a symbol of mental health because, you know, day in, day out, I, I go on the ramp, whether it's for 10 minutes or not, I just get a reset, step up from my desk, I go skateboard for 10 minutes and I come back and that's what I need. And so me as a CEO, sitting so, in- so productive. I mean, some of the, some of the, and you're 100 right. I'm thinking about the business all all the time. Sometimes even when I'm trying not to, but sometimes the best thing you can do for your business is to not think about your business. And and it's also good. You know, you got to prioritize mental health. I'm glad that mental health is a discussion that it's okay to have right now. That there's more talk around mental health, but it needs to be in the workplace as well. So so really really excited you you're doing that, which is which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and now it's got me thinking, one of our, one of my wife's other arguments was not everybody skateboards. Like what, what are you going to do then? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm not expecting everyone to skateboard, but you know, this is for me, this is my mental health. And there's plenty of skateboarders in the office that will love it. Uh, And not only just in the office, but our ambassadors and our customers and things that could come in. Anyways, um, it, because I landed on mental health, now we've, um, we've put in, you know, like we, we buy ski passes for our whole team every, every winter. Um, and so so wherever they, or, so or we give them money if they don't. I wish, I wish we could do something like that here. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, if, if it's a gym pass membership, then we, we fund that. And, um, we put mental health as a priority because we know first off friend to friend, we want our friends to be happy and healthy. They're more pleasant to be around. And, and we just like to see that, but also from a business standpoint, when they come in and they're and they're set and and they're happy and they're um, they're taking care of themselves physically and mentally, they perform better. Um, and so we don't have office hours. Um, nobody's required to come into the office ever. Um, in fact, if you want to leave midday and go mountain biking, do it, and we encourage it. And so when when you can structure this like work life balance being so intersected. I think that's when people find mental health because they're not so compartmentalizing and or segmenting their life that um, that it, it's it's like it's imbalanced, you know. And you're constantly trying to find the balance of work and life. And instead, work and life should be so inner 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 uh, interweaved. So I I'm just um, from my own personal uh, needs, thread has become that. And and so I'm grateful because I think. 
And I just did a survey with our team and asked them what they think of culture. And everyone minus one <laughs> um, said 10 out of 10. The other one put nine out of 10. And it's funny because he's my brother-in-law. That's why I'm laughing. Um, but anyways, uh, I just... Colby could be way better. I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. But I just, um, I think that's so needed now is at least having that conversation that people are suffering from anxiety, um, depression, addiction, um, other personal issues that... Um, they don't need to be openly talked about in the an office setting, but at least we need to be aware that people are going through those things and providing resources um, and being sensitive to them, I think is so needed now. Yep. And what's so cool, and you know, we don't have a half pipe. I am jealous of that and the ski pass, <laughs> but we do some similar things. And, and, and we do have office hours where we're pretty flexible and, and we have like uh, not, we don't really put a cap on PTO and then some other things that, that are kind of unique, but, but here's what's, you know, some of that stuff sounds scary, right? But here's, here's the way this plays out. If you're hiring for culture first and you're hiring those entrepreneurs, those 49ers, as you talk about them, whichever I like that. And, and then you create this environment where you're caring for them and you're, and, and you're, you've got some fun mixed in. And, and of course it's challenging. E-commerce is challenging. Running an e-commerce agency is super challenging. We always talk about, we're a, we're a fun place to work. We're not an easy place to work. Like this is, this is challenging work, right? But it's supportive. And so people really will thrive in that. The right people, the right people will say, I love it here. And, and right. up, I talk about this a lot where, you know, because I'm thinking about the business a lot, I'll sometimes drop into our, our internal Slack into a client channel and pop in an idea or a question or something. And sometimes that'll hit me at like 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night after we put the kids to bed and I'll pop in a question and it's pretty frequent that somebody will answer me like right away. And I've told them like, Hey, if I put a, a note in here way after hours, don't feel compelled. You don't have to answer. I'm not expecting you to answer. But a lot of times they do just because they want to, because they care. And so I'm <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, yeah. I'm not going to stop you, but I am telling you. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so sometimes it's, it's scary to have these kind of open free or freer. And, and I know, with some companies, once you get to a certain size, size, you have to have certain protections and things in place. And, and certainly I get that. But um, I think giving people more freedom if they're the right people usually pays off uh, in the positive direction. So uh, I want to, we're kind of right out of time, but I want to, I want to close with a thought that something you mentioned to me as we were chatting a few weeks ago, and then I really like it and I've, I've been pondering it a bit. Um, but you said that, uh, and I remember if this was like your quote or you read it somewhere, but the best CEO is a non-busy CEO. Do you want to talk about that just a little bit? And then I've got a couple of thoughts uh, there as well. Yeah. the when a, Like I mentioned with skateboarding, sometimes the best thing to do for your business is to just not think. Um, but then a, a lot of, of what your business needs is for you to think. Because if, if you're not thinking, then a lot of times people are so in the weeds that they can't think. Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by that, being uh, the best CEO is a non-busy one, is uh, a CEO needs time to think. He can't be, he or she cannot be so in the weeds that um, he can't, they can't like really look at the problem or, or the, the future and, and just let your mind think. And so um, I think that's where it roots, you know, because in the, actually still right now, I'm, I'm doing things that are somewhat mundane and um, I'm trying to delegate those things because I know that there's other bigger fish to fry that I'm not getting to. And so I, I need time to just, and even though it might not look like I'm doing anything, um, 
sometimes that's all I just I just need to you know sit down, think, whiteboard, and not be so busy that I can't I can't make the the wisest decisions. And so, anyways, that's that's really what I mean by it. Yeah, I love it. And I, I just finished the book. It's it's a classic written by Peter Drucker, who arguably the best management thinker uh, of our time or all time, uh, but a book called The Effective Executive. And it's a little dated in that the examples are pretty old because the book was written in the, in the 60s, I believe, late 50s maybe. Uh, but it's a fantastic book. And it talks about un, un, uninterrupted think time and blocking you know, how you manage your time and blocking it so that you can focus on something uh, the highest and best use of your time. What's the, what does the organization need? And, and you as the leader, as the CEO, focus on the highest and best use of your time. And, and I also love something that he says in the book that the, the relationship or the ratio between the top executive's performance and the rest of the team's performance is constant. So if you want to elevate everyone else's performance, elevate your performance. Like that's the best thing you can do. And, and so anyway, I've just been going through that and I, I've been thinking, sometimes I get in the weeds too. Like I still love getting into some client work and I'll never give that up fully, but I'm having to step back a little bit more. Remember, it's been a while now, but I was talking to one of the agency's director, agency directors at Google, uh, brilliant, uh, brilliant man uh, called named Rishi. And uh, he, we were talking about clients. He came to, he flew to our office to visit with us and he said, you know, I'm, I'm surprised by you, Brett. He said, you, you are in so many details with your clients. When do you find balcony time? So, what? We don't even have a balcony. When do, you, when do you have time to just step up and observe and think and look? And I'm like, you're right. I need more balcony time. You know, so, uh, I think that's where uh, some drivers, some 49ers, we, we, we feel like we have to have an incredibly full plate. But sometimes the best thing we can do is just back up a little bit and, and yeah. think. And so I think, let me, let, can I just share one more thing before please. we end? Um, something I learned yesterday, uh, a guy named Jeremy Andres, he's the CEO of Traeger Grills. Yeah. You know, Traeger Grills. Yeah. So he, my so I swear by Traeger Grills. Yeah. Oh, cool. So yeah, they're, I mean, a massive company. They're doing 700 million this year. He, you know, as a CEO, his, he said, everything important happens before 8.30 AM. And I like that because his morning routine, he set eight years ago and hasn't strayed from it at all. And that's something that I need because like I mentioned, I'm some, throughout my day, I'm doing some things that are still in the weeds, you know, and I, um, I can't, I don't really have the ability to, to think like I need, I should, but he wakes up at five and before he does anything, he flips his phone over so that he can't see it. He doesn't want to know any of the text messages, any of the slacks, any of the emails or news articles that came out through the night. Like that's, if he, if he looks at those, he says it's game over because the next thing he steps into is he drinks a big glass of lemon water and he goes and prays and meditates. Mm-hmm. And, and that time that he gives himself 30 minutes to just think and pray, um, that's his time, right? It's, it's, the world is slow. You know, it's early in the morning. Um, he, he's flipped over his phone and now he's just thinking. And so he had to create time to think for himself. Um, that was, is really good for me to learn because I don't really have the greatest morning routine right now. And so I, I've, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually on my to-do list today is to come up with what my morning routine is. And so I think, uh, you know, we try to justify and say, we don't have the time. We don't have the time, but in this example from Jeremy, he created time. And so, and it's, um, you know, 
it's not distracted time. And so I love I loved that. Then he goes on and he eats breakfast and he works out, takes his kids to school and then he's at work and he goes through his work schedule. And then when he gets home, the first thing he does is he puts his phone up on a shelf and he doesn't look at it or touch it until he puts his kids down for bed. Well, and that that time with his family is also so important. So he created that time to be uninterrupted. Yeah. And I just thought those those great examples of of somebody who was so regimented um, is why he's doing so well. You know, that's what successful people handle do. that kind of pressure and that kind of growth and all the things that come from running a seven hundred million dollar a year business. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that so much. And you know, I think one thing you mentioned you, you sometimes struggle with routine. I, I definitely did as well. I've gotten better over the years, but I think there may be some people on the podcast. I think I think you and I are somewhere in some respects where. Um, got a bit of creativity in me. I'm not necessarily an artist, but I, but I am creative. And I used to just crave variety. I had to have variety. Like I couldn't even drive home the same way. I needed variety. Um, but then I realized that in, inside of schedule and routine, you have more, you have more room to be creative. And oh, so, I love that. I think yeah, it's so true. Yeah, putting that structure actually is like, no, 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 you can be more creative. You think more, you have a little bit of structure. So that was kind of a game changer for me, but it's a constant process. I mean, just like looking at managing culture, it takes attention and, and effort. It's the same way on like managing yourself and, and, and your own time and those things. So, uh, well, Colby, this has been a ton of fun, man. I've, I've uh, uh, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this. For people that Thank want you, to learn more, uh, where can they find out about Thread Wallets? And then, are you active much on on social media, or um, uh, how can they connect with you online? So, yeah, for Thread, go to threadwallets.com and um, Thread underscore Wallets on Instagram. And then, for me personally, and for my wife, who's my uh, co-founder and CMO, we're both pretty active on LinkedIn. So, reach out to us um, there. Awesome. Colby, great job, man. This has been this has been awesome. Thanks, Brett. Well, I appreciate it, man. Seriously, I had so much fun. Yeah, awesome. So as always, we appreciate you tuning in. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. What do you, what do you think about these podcasts? What, what are topics you want us to dive into? And if you've not left a review on iTunes yet, what are you waiting for? We would love uh, for that as well. That helps other people discover the show and it would make my day also. And so uh, with that, until next time, thank you for listening. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session, or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.